Good morning again, everyone. Uh, my name is Ben Fredrickson. If you don't know me, I'm the Young Adults and Care Ministries Pastor for our North Langley Community Church. And that church comprises three campuses now, or we could say two and a, and a half, I guess. Um, Aldergrove Campus is still being renovated um, at the building there, but we're so excited. So, hey, ha- show of hands, anyone here from our Aldergrove campus this morning? Yes, awesome, welcome. We're so glad you guys are here. And our Yorkson people as well, Yorkson peeps, yes. I see most of you took advantage of the extra hour to come to the 11 and not to the 9 o'clock. That's okay. Um, Guys, it is so great to be at church again, to have a a full sanctuary. Maybe some of you are struggling to find a seat this morning. That's kind of a good problem for a church to have. So we're really glad that you are here. Um, And welcome, especially if you're new, if you're checking out our church. We're glad you're here. I hope you've been having a good summer. Uh, Hands again, who's been having a good summer so far? Okay, about half of you. All right, I don't know what's wrong with the other half. Um, Last time I preached a couple of weeks ago, I shared a highlight of being in Sudbury, Ontario with my family and just spending time at my family's cabin, or my wife's family's cabin, I should say, on a lake there, playing with my daughters in the water. So fun. Since then, I've got another summer highlight, and that was just from this last weekend, fresh, going backpacking with my good friend Jonathan up to Blanca Lake, northwest of Squamish. Here's a a picture of our campsite, pretty epic. Great sunsets there, and uh, there's a picture of us climbing up Blanca Peak. Well, it's official though, guys. I hate to break it to you, but summer is drawing to a close. Yes, I know, I hear people saying, don't say it out loud, Ben, don't make it real. We're sad, I'm definitely sad about this. It's one more week of vacation for students. Uh, Parents, maybe you are ready for your kids to go back to school at this point. Uh, Teachers, you're getting ready, getting your classrooms ready. And here at church, we're ramping up for the fall, kicking off a lot of our ministries and courses. It can be an exciting time. It can also be an anxiety-inducing time. Maybe you're wondering, students, are my friends going to be in my class? Is my teacher going to be nice? College students, you're wondering, what's my roommate going to be like? I haven't even met them yet. Maybe school or college isn't impacting you, but there are plenty of other things that we can worry about in life. The cost of groceries and gas, for example, that keep going up and up. Finding affordable places to rent for some of us. Uh, Maybe this is the summer you've received bad news about your health or a loved one's health, and you're anxious about it. Maybe you're worried for your kids and the challenges that they face. Our, Our age, our time has been characterized as an age of anxiety. Our culture here in the West is is consumed by worry. We worry about not having enough for the future. We worry about keeping up with our neighbors. We worry about what the future holds. We worry about people liking us, or at least about enough people liking our posts on social media, right? Generation Z, uh, that's teenagers and young adults, and I'm going to look over there because I know a lot of you hang out over there. Um, Your generation is particularly afflicted by anxiety even higher rates than other demographics and generations. You don't need me to tell you this. There's so much uncertainty in Generation Z's lives that you're trying to navigate. That worry is is literally killing us. It's causing stress and poor sleep and even higher suicide rates. Now, I want to be clear here that I am not trying to guilt you (laughs) into feeling bad about worry. I'm just describing the reality of our time, our culture. And I also understand that there are people who have a diagnosed anxiety disorder, and I I want to be very sensitive to that. 
But I think that, that for all of us, underlying much of our, our regular worry, I guess, is the sense that things are out of our control. That there are forces in our lives that we can't predict or manage. And so the question is, what do we do with this worry? If we're followers of Jesus, what is Jesus' response to our worry in an age of anxiety? Well, Jesus' answer to our, our worry problem is, it's, it's so simple, it might even sound simplistic, and yet it's also so profound, so practical, and real. You guys ready for it? Don't worry. <laughs> there it is. Don't worry. Okay, on the surface here, Jesus could sound a lot like Bob Marley. Any Bob Marley fans in the house today? Okay, one more than the nine o'clock service. That's okay. You guys know this song, right? Let's, let's play it. Don't worry about a thing Because every little thing is gonna be all right All right, I love that song, it takes me back, it's very catchy, and you will probably all be humming it now for the rest of the day. <laughs> You're welcome. But Jesus' answer goes beyond just don't worry. Of course, it's not quite as simple as that, right? Here's what Jesus says, don't worry, instead, trust God and seek his kingdom. Don't worry. Instead, trust God. Seek his kingdom. So as we unpack our passage today, we're going to look at, at three kind of movements, three themes, you could say. We'll see how we can move from worry and trust, because, sorry, from worry to trust, because God is a good, loving creator and father who cares for us. We'll see how Jesus frees us from anxiety and greed about wealth, to be people who practice generosity. And we'll see what Jesus says is a life well spent in his kingdom that has eternal value and significance. With those themes in mind, I'd love us to read uh, God's word together from Luke chapter 12. I'm going to invite uh, Cindy McCarthy to come up and read that. You can follow along in your Bibles if you have a Bible, um, or it'll, the, the slides will be up on the screen as well. Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 22. Do not worry, Luke 12, 22 to 34. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about what your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable are you than birds? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wildflowers grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, 
you of little faith. And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things, and your Father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, thank you, Cindy, and let's uh, join in prayer as we just open God's word together. Jesus, we thank you for liberating us from the bondage of worry in our lives. God, I pray today uh, that you would help us by your spirit not only to understand these words, but actually more to apply them in our lives for your kingdom's sake. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, as we dive into this passage today, um, let's start with the immediate context and the audience. Jesus has just finished telling the whole crowd a parable, the story of the rich fool who was greedy in storing up things for himself and was not generous towards God. And Pastor John preached on that last Sunday. And as John showed us, the parable is a warning on how to waste a life storing up treasures for ourselves that don't last while being stingy towards God and missing the point of what life is really about. Now Jesus turns to his disciples and says, Therefore, in light of this warning, here's how you should spend your lives instead. If last week Jesus warned us how to waste a life on things that don't ultimately matter, this week is how to spend your life on things that will last into eternity. And so that, that context for Jesus' words is really important, right? These are, these are two different approaches to life, to possessions, to wealth, in stark contrast. And, and the audience here is also important. Luke tells us that he has turned from the crowd to his disciples now. And these were people who were already seeking after the kingdom of God. Many of them were likely poor, without a lot of possessions. Some of them had given up a lot to follow Jesus. Disciples like Simon and, and his brother Andrew or James and John who'd left a family fishing business. Among those listening to Jesus tell them not to worry about what to eat were probably a lot of people who lived hand to mouth, as we say. Farmers whose livelihoods depended on the harvest that season. People who were one potential disaster away from hunger and begging. They were like billions of people around the world today who still depend on subsistence farming or labor for their food each day, like Jason and Shannon were sharing about Malawi. So, so when Jesus says, don't worry, instead trust God, seek his kingdom, he, he's saying that to all of us, to all of you, and he's saying it to me. Whether you have lots of disposable income or are living paycheck to paycheck, struggling to pay your rent, Jesus is speaking to you. It's not about how much we have, but about our underlying trust in God, our attitude towards our treasure, and where are we investing that treasure? Is it storing up things for ourselves for this life only, as we saw last week playing the game of Monopoly? Or are we investing in things that will matter into eternity? Well, the opposite of worry, of course, is trust. So, so how do we move from that worry about our life that, that all of us have to, to trusting God to care for our needs? 
Let's look at the first section and unpack why we can trust God. Friends, I, I really love this passage from Luke and it's parallel in the Sermon on the Mount because Jesus uses three images drawn from creation to show us why we can trust God. And, and this, friends, gives me an opportunity to really nerd out on two of my favorite things, birds and flowers. Yes. Quick story here. My wife Lillian and I, um, early in our relationship, she would ha- she'd have a hard time with me sometimes when we would go for a walk because we'd be walking along, kind of you know, having a good conversation about something. All of a sudden, I'd pause and sort of look up and point at something in a tree. And she'd be like, Ben, what, 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 what's going on? I'd be like, oh, nothing. It's just a, it's a, it's a red-shafted northern flicker I just saw. I, I just wanted to look at it. Well, Lillian is used to that now. She, she gets me. She gets my love for birds. Um, birds and flowers, both of our girls, their middle names are, are flowers, Lily and Iris, and our second daughter, Wren. Yeah, she's named after the bird. <laughs> well, Jesus, he, he uses these images, right, from creation to remind us that God is a good creator who cares for all of his creation. And the first image Jesus is, uses is ravens. Verse 24, consider the ravens. They don't sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. How much more valuable you are than birds. Okay, are you guys ready to nerd out with me on ravens? Yes? Okay, good. Here are some cool facts about ravens and crows, which are part of the same bird family, the corvidae. Did you know that ravens can fly upside down? Yeah. Some of you may know that a group of crows is called a murder, but did you know that a group of ravens can be called a conspiracy or an unkindness? Yeah. Ravens are really intelligent birds, um, probably some of the smartest birds around. They can solve problems. Okay, in Vancouver, where I used to live, I remember watching crows pick up a chestnut from the lawn, and then they'd fly over and drop it at a four-way stop. Wait for a car to drive over, and then fly down, pick up the fragments, and eat them. Isn't that so smart? So cool. Crows and ravens remember people's faces and how those people treated them. So think about that next time you're yelling at a crow at your picnic. Yes. Uh, And and many of the cultures here in the Pacific Northwest, uh, First Nations cultures, the raven is known as a trickster. He's sometimes playful, sometimes deceitful. There's lots of raven stories, including how raven first brought fire from the sun to humans. Well, I think we can all agree ravens are pretty cool birds, right? Yes, thank you. Thanks for agreeing there. Uh, But that's probably not why Jesus uses them as an example. For the people of Israel, you see, crows and ravens were considered unclean animals. You couldn't eat them or touch them because you would become ceremonially unclean. So when Jesus tells us to consider the ravens, he's not calling out beautiful or exotic birds, but rather lowly, bottom-of-the-pecking-order birds. Today we might think of pigeons, rats with wings, as an example. Jesus' point is that if God cares for and feeds these lowly birds, how much more will he care for us, his children, made in his image? Unlike the rich fool in the preceding parable, the ravens aren't concerned with storing up extra food, yet each day God feeds them. How much more should we be able to trust God for our basic needs? And then to emphasize his point, Jesus adds, Who of you, by worrying, can add even a single hour to your life? Since you can't do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? 
Have you noticed that worrying doesn't usually change anything? Commentator Daryl Bach writes, worry reflects the tension we have when we feel that life is out of control. It's the product of feeling isolated in the creation. So many of the things that we worry about are out of our control, including, of course, our lifespan. We don't know how much time we have left on this earth. So rather than worrying, Jesus invites us into a posture of trust that frees us to live life under God's good care. And when we start to consider how God cares for all of his creation, we start to see how we too are, paired, are cared for as part of that creation. We feel less alone, less isolated. Okay, we've looked at the first image from creation. Are you guys ready to nerd out on flowers now? Yeah? Okay, maybe birds weren't your thing, but you're like, flowers I can get behind. The second image Jesus uses are wildflowers, or as some older translations put it, the lilies of the field. Verse 27, consider how the wildflowers grow. They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. Okay, have you ever looked at a flower? Not, not like, okay, I've seen a flower, but like actually really looked at a flower, at just the intricacies of the petals and the pistil and the stamen inside there and then that dust of pollen. They are beautiful, stunning organisms, delightful to the eye. And yet they don't work. They don't labor or spin cloth. They simply grow as God created them to be. They don't worry about what to wear, and yet they're more beautiful than anyone in people's best dressed of 2022. So Zendaya, you can move over. The flowers are taking your spot. Even Israel's standard for wealth and luxury, King Solomon, he's got nothing on the flowers of the field. Earlier, I mentioned the hiking trip I was on last weekend. Up in the subalpine meadows up there, there, there are just thousands of wildflowers blooming, mostly purple and white heather, but also purple lupines and red columbines and alpine daisies and all kinds of other flowers whose names I don't know. It's just this extravagant display of God's beauty, and it just kept reminding me of these words of Jesus and of God's generous care for me. A little aside here, the flowers that Jesus might be literally pointing to, to his followers in this sermon or in his, in his talk, uh, is the scarlet anemone, also known as the windflower or Spanish marigold. And the Hebrew name for them, because they actually grow in Israel, the Hebrew name for them is kalanit, which means bride, and it evokes the beauty of a bride on her wedding day. Isn't that beautiful? That's just a little fun fact for all of you to tuck away for your next trivia quiz. Okay. After noting the beauty of the wildflowers, Jesus adds, if, if that is how God clothes the flowers, the grass of the field, which is here today, and then tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? You see, wildflowers and the grass of the field, they're fleeting, they're ephemeral. They, they bloom one day and, and then quickly fade and are used to start a cooking fire. And yet, Jesus says, if God the Creator can clothe these fleeting flowers with such extravagant beauty, how much more will he care for us, his children, made in his image? Let's, uh, let's keep reading here, verse 29. Do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things, and your Father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Jesus is saying that the way of the world, that is, life lived without trust in God, it's spent in vain, running after just what to eat and drink. 
Of course Jesus knows that we need to eat. We're physical creatures, right? Jesus performed miracles to provide food for people. His first miracle, by the way, was producing tons of wine for a wedding. So, so Jesus is not against enjoying good food and drink. But, but Jesus says, don't set your heart on these things. Don't set your heart on them. And for many of us here, we're, we're not necessarily worried about food, where our next meal comes from. But perhaps in our day, Jesus might say something like, don't worry about your physical appearance, about trying so hard to look good, young and fit. Or maybe, don't worry about your social media image, about people liking you on Instagram. You see, Jesus doesn't want us to get caught up in the pursuit of these lesser things. He's saying, don't let them rule your life. Don't let them consume you. Set your heart, what you value most, on God's kingdom, and God will take care of you. It's also really important to note that Jesus is not promising to make us materially rich when we trust God. Okay, just a little quick warning there. But of meeting our needs. God knows your needs, and he will give you what you need to seek his kingdom. Okay, one of my favorite poems here is called The Peace of Wild Things by Wendell Berry. And I think Berry, he, he captures part of what Jesus is saying to us when he points to God's creation to counter the, the worry that we often feel. So here it is. If you want to close your eyes, you can do that. Otherwise, you can read along on the screen. The Peace of Wild Things. When despair for the world grows in me and I wake in the night at the least sound in fear of what my life and my children's lives may be, I go and lie down where the wood drake rests in his beauty on the water, and the great heron feeds. I come into the peace of wild things who do not tax their lives with forethought of grief. I come into the presence of still water. And I feel above me the day-blind stars waiting with their light. For a time, I rest in the grace of the world, and am free. Well, if we can summarize Jesus' message so far, he's saying, God is a good creator who delights and cares for all of his creation. How much more can we trust him to care for us, to provide for our needs? So we don't have to worry. Okay, let's go now to the second movement. We're going to move from anxiety and greed that's so prevalent in our culture and move instead to a life of generosity that's lived in God's kingdom for the sake of others. Jesus tells us simply to seek his kingdom. And, and again, this is the, the positive, the flip side, if you will, of John's message from last week about the rich fool. Jesus is saying, here's how to live life well, pursuing the things that really matter. Here's where you should be storing up treasure, investing your time, investing your money. Let's look at that last section. Verse 32, Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions, give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail. Where no thief comes near and no moth destroys, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. When Jesus tells his followers to seek the kingdom, his command is actually rooted in this foundational reality that God, of who God is, a good shepherd, a loving father, the metaphors, they're only hinted at here, but they're a subtle reminder of the character of God. And that's so important for us. When Jesus calls his followers little flock, 
he's reminding them that God is their shepherd. That image of God as a shepherd, it's found throughout Scripture. Of course, one of the most famous places is Psalm 23. Uh, Even if you didn't grow up in church, you probably know it. It's, It's so embedded in our culture. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Like a shepherd tenderly caring for his flock of sheep, God cares for us. Out of that place of safety, security, and trust, we can seek God's kingdom. And Jesus refers to God as a father, a good, loving father who knows what we need and loves to provide for us. A few chapters earlier in Luke, Jesus teaches his followers about praying to God for their needs. He says, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So so when Jesus commands and blesses generosity in these verses, we have to remember it's, it's not just a moral rule, like do this to be good. But, but it's in the context of having a relationship with God who's personal, who loves us as his children. When we're secure in that relationship with God as a loving father, we're, we're freed to be generous with what he has given us, including our time, our money, our stuff. So what is Jesus telling us to do practically? How do we start storing up treasure in heaven instead of on earth? The first thing Jesus says, verse 33, is, Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Okay. It is funny how often we in the West especially tend to spiritualize these verses. Surely, Jesus, you can't mean that literally, right? That, uh, that's not for me, right, Jesus? That, that might be for some other people, but probably not for me. I think Jesus is actually being very practical and very literal here. One of the most effective ways that we can counter the materialism, the greed that's just in our culture, is to release the hold of money and stuff on our lives and and just to give it away. As we release it to serve God's kingdom and bless others, we're freed from its hold on us. All of a sudden it's like, okay, wow, I'm I'm free just to to give it away. Our, Our earthly bank account might decrease, but our heavenly account gets a major boost. The early Christians, they lived this out in a very practical way. In the book of Acts chapter 2, we read, they sold property and possessions to give to the poor, to anyone, sorry, to anyone who had a need in their number. Okay, I feel like I have to address a few yabats here. Some of you people are yabat people. Uh, That's okay, I often am too. Here is just a few things to note. Jesus is not saying that having possessions or property is bad. He seems to assume that at least some of his followers will have them, right? And Jesus is also not saying to everyone, give everything away and just become homeless and dependent on, the, on, on others for your needs. And, and nor is Jesus saying that giving things away is virtuous in and of itself. Sometimes we can kind of make that into even a prideful thing, like, oh, I'm giving away more than, than you, for example, but, but rather, it's in the virtue is in, in being generous to others, in cultivating a generous heart that seeks the well-being of others, especially the poor. I should also clarify that, that storing up treasure in heaven, it's not about earning salvation from our sins. This is not works righteousness. It's not about getting into heaven. 
but rather it's about living in light of heaven and its values. Jesus says that the Father has been pleased to give us the kingdom. He's already given it to us. So our response of generosity is just a response of gratitude to God for his grace and for everything he has given us. Generosity also doesn't depend on how much we have, right? This is not just for those who feel like they have extra income. Some of the most generous people I've met um, didn't have very much at all, but they were willing to share it. Shortly after college, I spent a couple of months in Lima, Peru, volunteering with a ministry called Word Made Flesh, and, and this ministry works with street children on the streets of Lima. Um, Friday nights, we would, we would go to the streets with our team of people and hand out just simple sandwiches um, and spend some time with the kids there. And the meal that we would bring was just literally a simple bun with a slice of ham on it. We'd hand these out, and there, there was one week in particular I remember because we'd handed out all the sandwiches to the kids, um, and another, a child came, and they were all, the sandwiches were done. And I said, I'm sorry, we don't have any more to give you. Uh, and, and another child noticed this, and he came over and he said, here, he, he can have my sandwich. I already ate today. I was so blown away by his generosity. Um, that, that story still brings tears to my eyes as I remember that moment. Friends, no matter how much you have to give, whether it's two small coins like the widow in the temple or a ham sandwich, when we are generous towards others, we show our identity as children of our Heavenly Father. We're living in light of His kingdom and His values, putting people over stuff, prioritizing others instead of guarding our own security. Okay, let's close with that third and final theme, how to make your life count by storing up treasure in heaven. I'll just read those last verses again. Sell your possessions, give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. When Jesus says these words, uh, I admit I am sometimes a little bit puzzled. Maybe, maybe you are too here. What, what does that treasure actually look like? We've been, we've been hinting at it here, but if, if heaven is a place with streets paved with gold, why do we need extra treasure? I, I think part of our confusion here is how we use the word heaven. We, we tend to think of it as sort of a, a distant place in the future where we go to be with God after death. But that's not primarily how Jesus uses this word. When he uses the, the, the phrase, the kingdom of heaven, He's, he's describing that whole sphere of reality on earth now already where God is king, where God's will is done. And it's a contrast to the kingdoms of this world, the kingdoms of self, of power, of greed, idolatry. Friends, the, the kingdom of heaven, is, is, it's about people. It's about loving God and loving our neighbor. It's about just the deep meaning and purpose that we find in our lives when we spend them for the sake of others. Jesus is saying, I, I want you to be rich, but I want you to be rich in my kingdom, the kingdom that really counts. Don't sell yourself short pursuing the fleeting wealth of this world. Pursue purses that don't wear out, treasures that don't fail. In other words, everything you do for the sake of my kingdom will last. It, it will not be taken away from you. Thieves can't get at it. It's not going to rust or depreciate in value. Every act of generosity, of kindness and compassion to others, it has eternal value 
both now in this life already and in the life to come. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus promises, if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones who is my disciple, truly I tell you, that person will certainly not lose their reward. Sometimes I like to imagine our our treasure in heaven looks like this. It, It would be like opening up just this long buried treasure chest. And as you open it up, each gold coin or ruby or emerald is actually a story or or actually a whole chain of stories. And and we get to see how God used those little acts of generosity and kindness and compassion to others and how he multiplied them, how he used them to impact other people's lives, people we may never know in this earth. We we get glimpses of that already on this earth. God gives us little tastes of it. Recently, I met a woman in our church who came to faith in Jesus partly through the ongoing kindness of of a young man who at her workplace would bring her a cup of water and just ask how her day was. I love that. A simple act of kindness that had an internal impact on this woman's life. Wouldn't it be amazing, friends, when we get to heaven just to have a whole treasure chest like that to start going through and looking at all those stories? Well, Jesus ends this part of his message to his followers by saying, for where your treasure is there your heart will be also. Note the order there, right? Where you put your treasure, that's where your heart will inevitably follow. Your heart, the core of your being, your soul, it it follows what you value. That's just the way it is. So, So what do you value most in life? Is it money or stuff? Maybe it's something more subtle, influence, security, pleasure, a life of comfort and ease. All of those are our temptations, things that can distract us from the kingdom of God. Maybe you're already a generous giver and you tithe a lot to the church and other ministries, but you're, you're, you're stingy with your time about giving yourself to other people in a meaningful way and spending time with people. Here's a super simple, practical way to gauge where your treasure is. I got this from Pastor John. Where do you spend these three things, Okay. Your dollars, your minutes, your calories. In other words, where does your money go, where does your time go, and where does your energy go? As you think on that, here's just a few practical suggestions to help us to store up treasure in heaven where it really matters. Some of these might be helpful for you, and I just invite you to see where God is speaking to you. What is one tangible possession that you could actually just give away? Is there an organization or a ministry that you can serve with? Perhaps Langley uh, Outreach Team that feeds the homeless here, uh, or the local food bank. Is there someone in your life that you could be more intentional with, investing your time uh, and your energy into them, building them up? Could you invite someone into your home for a meal and maybe sacrifice a little bit of your comfort and your free time next week? I'm going to invite the band to come up. But we're going to spend just a moment as they play, reflecting together, asking God's Spirit to illuminate where he might be calling us to generosity for the sake of others. And and friends, as we do that, again, I want to remind us, this is not just a moralistic message to go and, and, you know, give more money away. Um, Let's remember that everything that we do for the sake of the kingdom, it's a response of gratitude for what Jesus has already accomplished for us. John 3.16 God so loved the world that he gave his only beloved son 
so that whoever believes in him should not die but have eternal life. You see, friends, we, we are God's treasure. God looked at us and he said, that's what I value most, my people and having a relationship with them. He treasures us so much that his heart followed after us to know us so that we could be with him. 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Friends, Jesus gave up everything for us, for our sakes. He gave up his heavenly palace to be born in a lowly stable. He gave up his job as a carpenter to travel as a teacher without a home of his own. He became poor, dependent on the generosity of others for his needs. And he gave up his very life on the cross for our sins so that we might have everlasting life through him. Thanks be to God. Friends, if you're feeling burdened by something in your life, some anxiety or worry, um, something that you're carrying into the fall maybe, or maybe just something that you've been carrying for a long time, I invite you to release that to God. Uh, You can do that in the prayer room, um, and there are people who would love to pray with you about that. There'll be people up front praying as well. Um, or come pray with someone that you, uh, that you came with today. Just pray to release that to God and to seek his kingdom. As we close, I just want to remind you all of the good news in Jesus' words to us today. You don't have to worry about your life because you have a good, loving Father who cares for you. If you want a tangible reminder of that this week, go look at the crows. They're everywhere. Or maybe some other birds in your backyard. Check out the flowers even the weeds that are growing in the sidewalk cracks. Notice the beauty. Give thanks to God for his provision in your life. You're free to be generous towards others because God has been so generous towards you. Everything you have is already a gift from him. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your words that bring us so much hope and so much uh, life, Lord. We thank you for these words. We thank you for the gift of Jesus, most importantly, who has made it possible for us to know you, to be in relationship with you. And we thank you for giving us the kingdom, for the gift of the kingdom, that we might serve others and love them. Father, I pray for those here who are feeling burdened by by a worry or anxiety. Uh, Maybe it's something new, maybe it's something they've been caring for a long time. God, I pray that they would be able to release that to your tender care and your love. Lord, all of us, we we need to trust you more and, and we want to do that today. Help us to live in light of your kingdom, in light of what you have called us to. In Jesus' name, amen.